Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. Jenny, I've got a great topic for us to review today. You ready to get into penetrating neck trauma? Absolutely. I love penetrating neck trauma. I mean, I don't love it for the patient. You don't but... love it, no. I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's start with a little background. Patients who present with penetrating neck trauma can present with a variety of injury patterns, and this can include hemorrhagic shock, airway obstruction, and neurologic injury. Serious injuries may not be clinically obvious, making the diagnosis and prompt treatment challenging. Due to the large number of critical structures in the neck, a clear knowledge of the anatomy is necessary for proper evaluation and management. Now, we don't see a lot of penetrating neck trauma. It represents about 1% of all trauma admissions in the U.S., and it's about a 5% mortality rate. But about 80% of that mortality rate is secondary to cerebral infarction, which, Jenny, that's not what I would have guessed. I would have thought that most of the mortality was from uncontrolled hemorrhage, but it's actually really the other way around. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would have thought the other way as well. Now, you mentioned that it's really important to understand the anatomy, and I'm not going to lie to you, anatomy was not my favorite part of medical school. So this is something that I have to review, and it's probably really important for everybody out there to review. And you're going to have these flashbacks of the fact that there were these three zones. The neck is classically divided into these three zones. So zone one is from the clavicles and the sternum to the cricoid cartilage, and there's lots of important stuff in there that you should review. Zone two, is cricoid cartilage to the angle of the mandible. And then zone three is the superior to the angle of the mandible to the skull area. So the one way I've been taught to remember it is it's like an elevator. So you're going one, two, three, up an elevator. And we'll put a list of the the important structures that are in each zone up on the show notes, but it's just really important to review these and look back at your anatomy pictures so you understand it. Historically, we had these zones because they helped the surgeons figure out what they needed to explore. So zone two required surgical exploration and zones one and three maybe needed some angiography to delineate vascular injury. But it's important to remember that structures can be injured really no matter what zone the injury is in. So the penetration can look like it's in one zone, but actually transverse to two different zones. So it's important to kind of keep an open mind here. It's also good to know that these fascial layers in the neck are, are continuous. They continue all the way down into the mediastinum. So injuries and, and things that happen in the neck can actually track down in the, into the mediastinum. And the other kind of buzzword that you'll need to have in your brain in terms of the anatomy for your your boards and your in-services and things is that that platysma muscle sits between the superficial and the deep cervical fascia. So traditionally, we think that violation of the platysma increases the likelihood of a deep structure injury. And these injuries or patients who have violation of their platysma are probably going to need to be explored in the operating room pretty quickly. Not all of these injuries to the neck are life-threatening. It's important to be able to make the distinction between who needs to go to the OR now and who's stable for further preoperative assessment. We do this risk stratification by considering the hard and soft signs of major aerodigestive and neurovascular injury. Now, again, we're going to drop a table with the hard and soft signs in the show notes, but the hard signs, these are the big ones you have to be looking for, are airway compromise, an expanding or pulsatile hematoma, an active brisk bleed, the presence of hemorrhagic shock, hematemesis, neurologic deficit, massive subcutaneous emphysema, and air bubbling through the wound in the neck. If the patient has any of those signs, we really want to redline them for the operating room. We don't want to delay our management. And for some of these things, we do have to think about taking over the airway early. 
Yeah. So let's get some to some of the management stuff. I feel like a little bit of a broken record here saying we're going to refer you back to our show notes. But this is one of those episodes where it's going to be important for you to take a look at that because we're going to put in the algorithm for management of penetrating neck trauma in our show notes as well. But basically, like with anything that comes in the ER, trauma or not, we have to focus on the immediate life threats first. So these are going to be exsanguination and asphyxiation from airway obstruction. So any patient with hard signs of injury should be brought to the operating room really quickly, probably right away for further management. So here you might want to go ahead and take the airway. The hard signs, those things that Swami just mentioned, are associated with a 90% rate of major injury. So these patients are really critical to get to the OR. Delays should only occur, occur to secure the airway before getting them to the OR. You can apply direct pressure to any bleeding wounds on the way, and these are not the kind of patients you take to the CT scanner. I'm going to repeat that. Don't take them to the CT scanner. You don't want to find these injuries on your CT images. Take them to the operating room. Now, we talked about that airway, and I think that's really important to stress. For a lot of these patients, especially if they have something like an expanding hematoma, there's going to be dynamic airway compromise. So what you see right away may not be what you see in two or three or even four minutes. Hematemesis and hemoptysis are also really dangerous because they can cloud your visualization, make your airway much more difficult to obtain. And so we want to think about intubating these patients pretty early on, especially if they have hard signs. Remember, they're going to the OR. Someone's going to need to intubate them. You better do it now as opposed to waiting five minutes when the anatomy could be even worse. In all of these patients, you want to have the neck prepared for front of neck access. And Jenny, we say that for every neck, and that's really true. But I want to stress it again here. Some of these dynamic airway compromises happen quick. And so you have to be ready to do that crike if you can't get the airway from above. Bag valve mask should be minimized if you see things like massive subcutaneous air because you can cause dissection of air into the neck and you can make the airway even more distorted. But obviously, if you need to bag the patient to get a good oxygen saturation, go ahead and do it. Cervical spine immobilization is typically unnecessary in these patients. So they have a penetrating neck trauma. You usually don't need to immobilize the cervical spine unless they have a gross neurologic deficit. And actually immobilizing their spine with a C-collar can make things worse. It can obscure neck injuries. It can preclude an adequate assessment. It can make airway visualization even more difficult, and it can delay the definitive airway. Yeah, I want to really hammer in on that can obscure neck injuries. I think often we kind of forget about taking the, the C-collar down on a trauma patient that comes in, you got to at least remove it and look and make sure you're not missing any penetrating injuries under that C-collar, right? Absolutely. Good point. Okay. So now moving on um, to breathing. So one of the big things that you might not think about when you're looking at a neck injury is that they can actually result in a pneumothorax. So that zone one, those that lower neck injury can be a pneumothorax or um, any injury that transverses the different zones could actually lead to a pneumothorax. So make sure you're doing a pulmonary exam and listening to breath sounds or looking for lung sliding on these as well. And then when we get to bleeding, the C of the ABCs, you do not want to probe any active bleeding on these neck injuries because you could dislodge a clot and make things worse. If there's a clot forming, don't go probing them. Vascular injuries are a major, if not the most common cause of mortality in these patients. So we really want to get bleeding under control. So apply direct pressure. This is often going to help control the bleeding, at least until the patient gets to the operating room. Now, if possible, you're going to want to start your vascular access, the other part that we think of in C, on the contralateral side to the injury, because a lot of these injuries are going to be directly to the vasculature themselves. And then think about this. If direct pressure cannot control the bleeding, you could 
place a Foley catheter inside the wound and then blow up the balloon, this may be successful to tamponade the bleeding for a temporizing measure, at least until you get the patient to the operating room. Have you tried this one, Swami? Yeah, these are great tips. I have done this before. So if you have a penetrating injury, and the key, Jenny, is that penetrating neck injury is actively hemorrhaging. This isn't the one right. where you're like, oh, there's a little trickle, and now I'm going to stick a Foley catheter in there because we just said not to probe those wounds. That's really right. important. So if you just see a little trickle, it's not expanding, and just leave it be. Any probing is really more likely to make things worse than to make it better. But if you see active hemorrhage, there's a lot of blood coming out of there, and you can't obtain hemorrhage control with direct pressure, this is a place where sticking a Foley catheter in and blowing up the balloon can help. But remember that most bleeding will stop with direct pressure. And that doesn't mean taking a big wad of gauze and pressing it on the patient's neck. That means taking one gloved finger and applying pressure specifically to the place you want to apply it. So we have to be directed in how we apply that pressure. Now, there are lots of other injuries that we have to be worried about here. There's the pharyngeoesophageal injuries and laryngotracheal injuries. And a lot of these we're not necessarily going to find with our primary survey, but we might have hints to them. So a lot of subcutaneous emphysema, hematemesis, that that tells us that there's probably a pharyngoesophageal injury, and an x-ray can help us to tee those out. If the patient's stable, we're going to take them to CT to get better imaging of that to really find out what's going on. And then the further management is a little complicated here. It depends on what you see, how stable the patient is, of what further management they're going to get. But this includes things like contrast esophagrams and barium studies, but this isn't really our concern right up front. The one thing to think about in these patients, if you suspect that they have one of these esophageal or GI tract type injuries, give them broad spectrum antibiotics, including covering anaerobes, because that is going to decrease mortality. So the next kind of specific one we wanted to mention are the laryngotracheal injuries. Now, hard signs for this are going to be bubbling or air leakage from around the neck wound, massive sub-Q air. Again, you might be able to see this on your plane film. You'll see some extra luminal air. You might see a fracture of some of the cartilaginous structures or just even some edema. Again, if the patient is stable, a CT is going to be a really good imaging modality for you here. You're going to have to obtain thin slices and, and get some multiplanar reconstructions, but don't just think you're going to be able to see this on a cervical spine CT. That's one of the crucial things here. You have to actually get a soft tissue neck CT to really get the proper recons to look for their laryngotracheal injury. They also might need a flexible endoscopy to really look for internal injuries, so you might need to be getting your ENT people on board. So you can see how complicated these injuries are. All of these structures we need to investigate. Unfortunately, there isn't one modality that evaluates everything. And we haven't even talked about the vascular injuries. The hard signs for vascular injuries are active hemorrhage and expanding or pulsatile hematoma or hematemesis. And those patients, again, should be going directly to the operating room. But if you see venous oozing or non-pulsatile hematomas that aren't expanding, maybe just a little bit of hemoptysis, then those patients, if they're stable enough, can get other diagnostic tests. In the past, that was an angiogram to take a look at the vascular injuries. Now it's going to be a CT angiogram. So a little bit different of how we're getting this done. The CT angio is going to be much quicker. Performance characteristics are really good. So you're going to find the vast majority of injuries. And if you find an injury, it probably really is there, as opposed to it's a false positive injury. And I think when you look at CT angio versus conventional angiogram, the CTA performs just about as well. And very rarely are people getting angiograms because the CTA is so good. So let's move on to the disposition of these patients. Here, we kind of alluded to this already. Patients with hard signs of aerodigestive or neurovascular injuries are going to require emergent surgery. That's straightforward. They go to the OR. 
patients with soft signs, the soft signs on our list of the aerodigestive or neurovascular injuries, they're going to move on to some further imaging, and they should probably be admitted to the trauma surgery service or transferred to one if you don't have that in your hospital so they can be monitored pretty closely. And then lastly, patients who have neither hard nor soft signs are going to maybe need some imaging depending on what you're finding, or they may simply be observed depending on your local protocols, but have an understanding of the degree and severity of these injuries so you can decide exactly what you need to do. Excellent. So not all of these injuries have to be transferred, but the vast majority of them are going to be transferred to someone who has a trauma service. And if you're not sure, you're better off just transferring them and letting somebody who does this on a regular basis check the patient out. Jenny, how about some take-home points? Absolutely. So first, penetrating injuries to the neck can damage a whole lot of different structures. Understand the zones of the neck and the structures within them so that you can help predict the injuries. Second, if the platysma is violated, it should be assumed that deep structures have been injured until proven otherwise. So get your trauma surgeons involved. Third, Early airway management is crucial as injuries can lead to dynamic airway obstruction. This can happen really quickly. So always be prepared for your surgical airway. Fourth, the presence of any hard signs of aerodigestive or neurovascular injuries. So this includes expanding or pulsatile hematomas, active brisk bleeding, hemorrhagic shock, massive subcutaneous emphysema, air bubbling through the wound or a neurologic deficit, or a violation of the platysma mandates an immediate trip to the OR. Do not delay the patient getting to the OR for any additional studies or imaging. Just get them straight there. And then last, attempt to control vascular injuries with direct pressure. And consider a balloon tamponade with a Foley catheter if that's not working. That's all for the Coriam podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coriam.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Falls on Google+, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.